0: for episode 62 live from my drum room get back with my guests dave maddox brendan lazar gary astridge the one and only and todd little thank you guys so much for being here today
1: thank you thank you john yeah yeah and
0: and as i said earlier and i i just said on the air i so appreciate you guys doing this uh you know kind of last minute um since watching the film and and uh, you know, I, I, I've I've been kind of like I've been buzzing around. I think like all of us have been. It was just so great. It was I knew it was going to be. I expected it to be really good. It was even better. It just to me it got better and better. Especially obviously the finale with the performance on the rooftop and um, and I, I assume Dave, you've seen it. I assume you've seen Get Back. You haven't.
1: Oh, I haven't oh. seen it yet. I saw you the haven't? I saw the um the rooftop film when it first came out whenever that was, I remember seeing that, but I've not seen the Peter Jackson Jackson thing yet. I'm, I'm, I'm saving up for my Disney plus subscription.
0: (laughs) Well, I could, we're all in for a few bucks. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I won't spoil the ending, but I, I, you know, I was hoping that (laughs) they'd work things out and the band would stay together, but apparently it, you oh know, No, it didn't. It, yeah.
1: That's my bubble jump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's the, there, there's the spoiler. Yeah. spoiler
1: so, they so guys,
0: it. I, I, I want to kind of jump in here. Um, I made just a, a few notes to, to sort of talk about, um, I'd love to kind of get into the symbols, which we've all been talking about so much in the past uh, week or so. And, uh, and both Brendan and Todd and Gary, you know, you're going to obviously have a lot to contribute to this as well. Um, but you guys were nice enough to furnish some photos earlier today that I can put up. And maybe you could talk about them a little bit. Um, Let me, let me, let me tee this up for a second and say that what kind of blew my mind as a, as a, not just as a former and Zildjian employee, but really as a drummer was this assumption that, that I had. And I think many people had that by the sort of mid sixties, that, that Ringo had, we knew that he had played zin early on and a bunch of other things and and pisty 602s and and at least i thought that by the mid 60s around revolver or sergeant pepper that he had got a hold of some a Zildjians, whether it was in new york or or from city in london and that by that time he was playing all A's. so it was an eye opener for me to see this film and see for me i guess it wasn't until part 2 where you saw that red ink is that right brendan and todd that yeah. was it part 2 you and gary you saw the mm-hmm. red ink medium ride logo on the on his left you know being the 602 and then throughout the movie i could tell that that the symbol to is right with the rivets it was an oddball it looked, i'm thinking i said to my wife i think that's a zin with the rivets and again i always thought he played an 18 inch Zen. i didn't know that he played a 20 but you, but you guys know all this stuff um so so feel free to 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 elaborate on that first if you would
1: i wouldn't be at all surprised that the 602 came via either arbiter either mm. either either mal kind of went in there one day and said you know ringo wants some new symbols
2: um yeah. i mean uh, sure. gary's
1: but gary's going to know whether you know, I get the impression that, that and this is where Gary, I, I think, well, all of you, are, you're going to be able to contribute. I got the impression that he certainly knew what he wanted, but I think it was a question of like, you know, go and get some some symbols, and let's see what I like. And 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 Ivor Arbiter in that mid '60s period in London was was pushing Pyestes onto all the key players, and mm-hmm. probably said you know, try these, and I guess it feels to me like he Mal maybe took them, put them up for me, and went, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, mm-hmm. now now I'll hand it over to people who
2: know more than me, but that's what I imagine happened. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'd say you're right, because one of the things that I was told, I I befriended uh, Dick Shorey, uh-huh. uh, who was an executive with uh, Ludwig, yeah. and um really nice guy, and and, and he told me that, after the Beatles appeared on The Sullivan Show, uh, Bill Ludwig told, told, uh, told Dick, he said, you're going to be the liaison uh, with this group. So it landed up, Dick worked with uh, Brian Epstein and uh, Ivor or uh, Jerry Evans. And, um, but he alluded to saying that, that every time they um, sent a, uh, a kit, that um, uh, symbols were included. You know, but he didn't go into specifics saying uh, where they came from. So it's very well that um, uh, Drum City supplied them. Because there was another person whose name I can't remember. But when, when Ringo received his first Ludwig kit, when it was delivered up to um, uh, uh, Birmingham, uh, Jerry Evans, the manager, and another person whose first name was yeah. Mark, uh, those two, Mark, does this sound right? It was not Mal name? Evans,
0: not right. Mal, no.
2: Well, it was two guys from Drum City that actually oh, made it Sunday, and 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 I was told that that um, uh, Peisty symbols were delivered with the kit. So mm, wow,
0: okay, yeah. So and I I I didn't know that. I thought that the Ludwig Peisty connection was only in the states. I didn't realize it was at that time. It was it was when when Ludwig yeah, kits were delivered. Te- everybody- Technically,
3: yeah, that that was the deal. Ludwig had had distribution in North America for for Piesti, but I, f- I guess they figured if we're going to send the kits over there, we might as well you know stick some symbols in there as well. You know, yeah, that that kind of thing.
0: It makes sense because I mean, it's when when you have a partnership with a company, you do those things. I I know that from my past life that even if even if you don't have a Ex, like an official or exclusive distribution in a given country. Um, if you have a relationship with that company, you're apt to send your stuff along with it. So yeah, that, that would make sense. Um, Jim yeah. Catalano was watching. I wonder if we should have had Jim um, jump in on this. It's, I, I didn't know if this was um hi Jim. First of all, to Jim, yeah, hi Jim.
2: Hello, hey Jim. Um,
0: Jim, if you want to jump in, uh, let me know and I'll shoot you the link. If you, um, um, Jim and I were just babies though when, when we're during this time that we're talking about so. Uh,
1: I think Ivor had had a I think Iver arbiter had definitely entered into some kind of business relationship in that early 60s period with Pey because I can remember them appearing in the shop yeah, 60 yeah
3: abso- absolutely this the even the the pasties that were sold at drum city they got their own distinct metal stamp as well mm-hmm. you know there were there were they were stamped arbiter london and right. uh, and the the 602s didn't even have the pasty name on it it just you know it just said formula 602 at That's the it. bottom of the stamp so you know right. and then so, some of the other pasty lines that they sold they you know they they had their own names. You know the the Stambuls were called Arbiter Customs instead of Paiste Stambols. So yeah, there's definite there's definitely a big time relationship there. And and uh, Thomas and and Iver were were from what I've heard very very close friends. And and that's you know how that
2: relationship got started and grew.
0: Very interesting, John. Yeah yeah, Gary.
2: You know, it would be an interesting story that would really relate if if you started it out by sharing your simple gift to Ringo.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, that would be. Uh, thank you, Gary. Yeah, I, I was I was going to hmm. get to that point and and tell you guys. So so the first time I met Ringo was in 1995 um, on an all star tour gig. And, and that summer I was working at Zildjian at, at that time. And that summer we had discovered these. New old stock 1940s A Zildjian symbols and a big metal cabinet in the factory. We were we were rearranging the factory, and in the process, we came upon this uh, big metal cabinet. No one knew it was inside If They pried it open and they were all brand new, unstamped 1940s circa A-Zildjians. Um, oh, wow. Wow. And these are the symbols that that Zildjian is now selling now in the sort of Armin collection, if you, if you will. So so anyway, I <laughs> you know I I got a hold of a set and uh, and I said I'd want to present these to Ringo when he comes through town this summer. And I feel like it was not not long. We discovered these symbols not long before Ringo was coming through in July of that year, 1995. So um, I was able to, to. Secure a 16-inch crash, a 20-inch ride, and a pair of 14-inch hi-hats to to present to Ringo, and I can show you the picture. But um, anyway, it was during that that first meeting with him uh, that I'll never forget, and he was so moved by the by by this uh, presentation. Myself and Craigie Zildjian were there to do it, and um, let me see if I can. Well, this is a picture of of me and Ringo with the um, I guess it's the 16 inch crash, which so I, I don't know if you can tell by looking at it, but you can see it's the, um, you know, it's by the lathing and the, you know, sure. and, and and they were, you know, brand new symbols. So anyway, so at that time Ringo said to brought me up behind the kit along with Jeff Chonis, his drum tech, and showed me his, his cymbal setup and his drums. And at that time he was playing what I remember to be two old A's and I thought they were twenties. One might've been an 18, but I, one might've one, I think was an 18 and one was a 20, but they were definitely old A's, a pair of old 14 inch high hats. And then he had some newer symbols that I'd sent to He had a, the, you know, the closed high hats that he's been playing for some time now on the right and a newer ride. I think that, um, you know, like a, probably an a medium ride, or maybe even a K ride, but he had those two old A's and the a high hats. And I remember he pointed to the two symbols and he said, these two symbols are from the mid 1960s. And I kind of nodded my head. And then he said, and he pointed to the high hats and he said, the high hats, which I have a picture of, I think he said, the hi-hats are from 1960. Mm. And I went, let me sorry, I'll, I'll uh, try that again. He said, uh, are you guys seeing the hi-hats?
4: Not yeah. the hi-hats. We just saw oh. the 16-inch okay. crash.
0: Sorry about that. I. Uh, this is all high-tech stuff to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're doing well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: He pointed to the hi hats and he said, uh, "The hi hats <clears throat> ah. are from 1960." And you've seen these before, Gary. I, I know you've, you. You might have provided this yeah. photo, or or maybe uh, Jeff. I think it was yourself, though. Any any are and those
1: said, the hi hats, John?
0: Well, okay. So Dave, <laughs> I said. So I said. <laughs> I said. So those hi hats, and he he cut me off, and he said, "They're on all the records." Ah. And I went. You know, my mouth hit the floor really my jaw hit the floor and i and i i uh i said can i try them and he kind of went yeah and they were they were very light feeling old not even new beats but just very light Mm. um really responsive hi-hats yeah um but you know i mean (laughs) and we can we could go down this rabbit hole because
1: if there's such a a thing as a famous pair of hi-hats
3: that
4: exactly <laughs> yes yeah exactly <laughs>
3: gotta be it. I exactly.
4: dream of being in your position here. It's it's really fascinating. These are yes. this is the
2: the hi hats. Now, know. have
1: you any idea what those marks are, John? The arrows?
0: I don't, but be- I think Gary might.
2: Yeah, no, actually, we we really don't know. He's he's actually has um, similar markings in pencil on uh, uh, one of the two eighteen-inch. Uh, zildjian crash rides that he has and it was speculated I mean, you know, something that, that george may have uh, done that and then it was speculated also that paul may have done it uh, for the reason of uh, that that being the sweet spot but okay. we, we don't you know i i found a picture
4: just the other day uh, it was new to me and i immediately yes that that's an interesting uh, gift from paul right yeah so with that photo you can Probably assume that that's not the crash ride. I assume that's something Paul took for McCartney. One that symbol is mine because there's like a picture of him on his back porch, the front bass drum head off. When Paul returned the kit to Ringo finally in '95 or so, I think *Run Anthology* most likely. You return the kit. And you can tell Paul has these like two zildjans off. I bet you that's one of the things he was returning. But I found a photo just a couple of weeks ago uh from m- mid-1965. I I have this thread on drumforum dot uh, org that I've been obsessing over about a day-to-day, month by month Ringo symbol thing. Uh, I wish I could add it in the Excellent. chat right now, but you can see the same pencil marks, <clears throat> excuse me, of the arrows going up and down on the 18-inch crash ride. And so uh it makes me believe, you know, as much as those guys weren't worrying about symbols and <clears throat> excuse me, things like that. They knew what sounded great, and that that is my biggest influence with this uh, this whole search. Amen. I feel like uh, Indiana Jones here, but uh, it, it's it's that they they knew they worked with what they had, and it made me go immediately back to John's picture with those high hats with the uh, pencils because I, honestly, I was always uh, skeptical just if those were the hi-hats or not, because I love Ringo, but I'm not sure if he really knows. And I've talked to Gary about this a few times too. And, you know, no, it's fine. I probably, we probably know more about his gear than he ever did, but he knew it sounded great. So when I went back and I'm looking at the picture on drum forum of those pencil marks, and it just, it got me thinking that those are the hi-hats after all that he did something similar on most of his gear. Um, so thank you for posting those photos again, because it was, have always amazing. been interesting to me. And um, basically with all of this, the symbol started with the hi-hats for me. It yeah. started a genre of music in my mind, you know, why, why is it opening hi-hat buttering it? Why was he doing that? Why, you know, and, and it was all for a reason, musical reasons, uh, but those hi hats, just uh, I, I dream about them. I've scoured the internet for photos, and bell shapes on cymbals are always different in photos. That's what kills me. Yeah, <laughs> for, especially six oh twos. They're they're flat yeah. in one photo, and then they're bulbous in another one. I was like, well, yeah. what is it? You know, and so I uh, photos
3: photos have a funny way of, of <laughs> messing with with cymbals, and you'll get people. You know, you'll say, oh, well, you know, like with Charlie, you know, John a while back posted a picture of Charlie's giant beat, you know, and people were like, Oh, well, when I saw him in concert, it was a 24. And in this picture, it's a 22, you know, and it's, it's not a 22. They didn't make a 22 inch giant beat. So it's definitely a 20, but, you know, pictures have a funny way of of throwing off the sizes of the symbols and the bells. And, you know, I think probably because the symbols are in motion when the, when the picture snapped and, you know, that and just the perspective of things throws it off.
0: Exactly. I'll I'll just, I'll just, this is great. What you guys are are saying and adding and Gary Astridge and I've had, I know we've had this conversation a few times where I remember being Gary, us chatting at the Ludwig booth some years ago at the NAMM show about Ringo symbols. And, and I I think we were both of the mind that, that sonically we thought he was playing 15s on the older records. Mm -hmm. Um, It it just, you know, it just, they just sounded, they had that sort of bigger, more buttery, 15 sound and i just you know i remember us saying like but ringo said they were you know 14 so you can't argue with a beetle you know and and uh, but but to your point brendan you know i i rest his soul charlie um i think we we've we've charlie's famous maple Gretsch drum set you know he referred to it as 1957 Gretsch round badge kit but i think we've determined or i say we it's been determined that it was maybe a tad bit newer than that Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe early 60s but again who's going to tell Charlie (laughs) that his drum set's not a 57 (laughs) you know so I think in the case of Ringo I I certainly would never contradict Ringo and say Ringo you sure you didn't play 15s on twist and shout you know or
2: or you know um, it's always it's always a fine line you know yeah I I wanted to share another story that you were involved in it and um, uh, it it somewhat matches the, the 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 previous one but for for Ringo you you gave him a gift of a a zin symbol right oh that yes okay yes. so so you were kind enough to give me a heads up and you sent me a picture of it and so I thought okay just in case I'm asked I better take some ammunition and I forgot to bring <laughs> symbols and, and in fact I when I think about it it was up in uh I had across Canada and I was afraid to take anything across uh to get to Detroit. So. Um, uh, When I got there, I I had a photo on my phone, which is one that that was that that I saw in an email uh, where you see it's like Ringo sitting behind his kit in 67. And you see the Zin stamp, Mm -hmm. the 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 rivets. So um, I see Ringo. We talk. And then um, Greg Bissonnep brings up the uh, the gift, the Zin that you gave. And so uh Ringo says to Jeff Chonis, go get it. You know, so he Jeff gets it, brings it out, <laughs> it's in a bag, he takes it out. And then um Ringo's just like he's got his hands on his hips and he goes, What's his in? I go, well, you, he goes, No, I didn't. I go, no, you did. You know, and he goes, I've never heard of it. And then go, like, I never heard of one either. And, I, and then I there's a part of me going, like, oh, do I just stop talking now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, so the, the difference is with the one you this one right here, um, you see the logo where it's like, the, you know, it's basically it has the outline, right? As, as, as opposed to the other Zinn where it's just like a straight line uh, yeah. marking yeah. saying Zinn. So, so I, I try to show Ringo on my phone the picture that I had mentioned with him sitting behind a kit, and you can see Zinn. So he takes my <laughs> phone and he's looking at it. We, we kind of blow up the picture and he's going like. I, I can't see it. I go, well, no, trust me. I go, saw so it on a big screen. I go, it says Zin. And then uh he was like, oh. <laughs> so he takes your symbol and he, he he says, Well, let's see what this one sounds like. And then um I am holding it, it with with you know the the whole, my, my index finger in the, in the hole. And um Jeff gives me a, a a stick and then we're all standing around, Greg was included. And then I, I just look at Ringo and go, why am I hitting it? I go, you hit it. You're the one with the magic punch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he hits it, and then we all look at each other, and he's like, yeah, put that away. <laughs> 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 but it was such a cute uh, moment. But, but it just showed you that 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 I, I totally agree. For him, is it's what, what sounds good to him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah to,
0: I and mean, to, uh, that, to that
3: point, I mean, the riveted symbol wasn't even a super zen. It was just the regular yeah, you know, yeah. basic nickel silver one. I have
4: used. one right here, too, I can show if we're uh, getting to that part. This is uh, what I use. At, you can see the pentagon shape of all the the rivets. And What really started for me in this was what symbol is that on Here Comes the Sun that he crashes? Because I use this a lot in my own music, and mics love it microphones love this symbol
1: you, it you, is a you've short got, you've got the other good one then yeah yeah, yeah. well that's you know it's it, i think it's great like you can see
4: I means it's going to be backwards but there's no one the no, can see it
1: yeah yeah
4: yeah That's uh, what
1: I remember the logo looking like. I don't think I've ever seen that that other logo.
4: Yeah, I think the two
3: stars were a little later, like 68. 68. Yeah, those are, yeah, those the two star ones came out in the late 60s, and then the super zins had were five star super zins then, right? -hmm. And And so, uh, I,
0: yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Brendan. Yeah, oh, no, nothing. Well, I was just going to say after I gave Ringo that symbol, I managed to get another one. I was, I Came up, I was able to get a, another 20, and this one is a super. Um, I bought it from a guy in I think he was in Germany or something, and it's pretty good. It's 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 not great by any means, but it looks more like it, it looks like a sheep bronze symbol, but sort of more like an A. Uh, yeah. if that makes sense, it hasn't, yeah. and it, it is a super zen, not a regular zen. Yeah. Um, but I've wondered, uh, just to Brendan's point, I've wondered what some rivets would do to this. I'll bet it would make it sound a lot
1: better. It would make it sound like a riveted symbol, John. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's, oh, yeah. that's what's funny with Ringo and and his yeah. history of using rivets was um, the other fascination that started all this for me was the Ed Sullivan Show '64. What is that weird umbrella shape looking symbol? And we actually we still don't know. I have, the, I' have my what sorry Gary
2: look at Zinn to me from
4: yeah <laughs> I have a I have one I can dig out uh, a Kamala symbol which was also made in England Dave I'm not sure if you were ever aware there was like Samara Kamala zin yep. Carlton beverly there there's a crut as well oh. and
1: oh, and
4: crap, cr- crap know. Yeah. you know yeah oh, of yeah. course they were awful <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing God. is the thing is is What's interesting to me, and I think Todd's helped me with this as well as um, my friend Sabas in Mexico, who I message about this stuff is, um, it, once you realize it, it really took me back to Premier's Chrome usage on their kits. And I'm like, well, you know, I've toured England a bunch. England is small. I mean, to me, being in America, mid, you know, I'm from the Midwest and LA now, England is so small. How many factories could there be pumping this stuff out? And so I have a, I have this Zen as well as a crut that it's the same symbol, like straight up. It's the same profile, kind of A-ish, kind of weird, 602-ish kind of, it's just the same thing. And uh, so I have a Kamala symbol. I can dig it out right now. It looks like a, a lampshade as well as a Zen that have the same profile, same formula, same everything. It was just stamped. Depending on what region, maybe Dave or one of you guys, if you if you know, yeah, and um, I, I that's what's so difficult about this is that I it is uh, it seemingly is one factory. Premier's Chrome made the Chrome for Rolls Royce. Right? What? No wonder their drums are so amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my, my old Premier drums are. Look at the one in the background there, man. Yeah. It's so shiny and great. You know,
0: it's in great. It's a early seventies, I think. Yeah,
4: it's in great shape. So it, in yeah, my, in my, my mind, guess, cheap English made gear was just great to me. I love it. So
3: yeah, Tom, my, guess, my guess would be Premiere made all those symbols and they mm-hmm. probably just stamped them for different, maybe for different drum companies that wanted to have their own name, you know, on the symbols just to sell along with the drums. So
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: Know, so
4: we I mean, like Certainly. for this, the, the it varied. So really quick. Sorry, this is a a. a okay this is a kamala so if you go back to ed sullivan show and through hard days night
2: he's using this ed
4: sullivan show through hard days night it's this profile yeah all of a sudden so this this metal this this ns12 is so brittle that it seemed like a crapshoot how it came out really and then i had a shout out to a hollywood pro drum they put in these rivets kind of like how mal evans i think but um Going back to Ringo's usage of rivets is famously rivets help assemble, you know, in my mind, they, they can make a dog sound great, you know, so just want to show that really quick. Yeah,
0: yeah. This is a great shot. I'm not sure if Todd or Brendan provided this, this shot, but um, I know I've seen this before. This was, I think... Brendan, you sent this one, right? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's during, I think you said during Sergeant Pepper. It's yeah.
4: it is, it is uh, nerdily enough, it is March 29th, 67. Uh, so, and then I I love as much as I love Ringo, I was always wondering what what are we hearing on with a little help from my friends when he goes to this, you know. I was a kid, I was like, What is that sound? And when I saw this picture. And what's funny is all these great pictures of the Beatles were all hiding in the same place, the Beatles monthly books that were coming out. So this this photo is from then. So what they were recording that day is with a little help from my friends, Mm -hmm. as well as being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. And uh, I perform both of those songs really often and on a side tangent. I I also sent a picture this morning. I think he's also using a 602 um, during these sessions. Whenever I hear in Benefit of Mr. Kite, that da, 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 da that yeah. giant yeah. cymbal roar, he loved that 602 because if you listen to how the Beatles, when they were recording through technology, everything was trying to be bigger, warmer, We want a big sound. Ringo's always talking about, I want a, I want a big sound. So any this photo is strange. It's the only version I can find. Try the other one. That was just to show there's a 20 over there, but you can see the rivets in the yeah. zoom there. Yep. There's a weird, I'm trying to find better quality photos every I day.
0: It, maybe it's this one.
4: Hang on. Wait. Maybe in the library of Congress, I can see them for real, but um, I believe he got in a nutshell. It's a little compressed there, but you can even you see think, the lathe lines in that 20. On the one right on his, photo. yeah. The one on, on his, his right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I think you're right and, and it, could that be the the one from get back excuse me for interrupting is that is I, I think was... so
4: i think so yeah. you know I, w- as i've noted uh before uh ringo got what i think is a peisty custom arbiter or whatever you call it the christmas of 65 i'll just start there they're about to play a big london show and the arc of the beatles gear that every time they reached a certain level it's like like literally that movie that thing you do it's just they got better gear as they got more money as the crowds progressed. So Arbiter sent him a 602 around Christmas. I can send you that photo, but this photo proves that this is really what you're hearing on Sergeant Pepper. Mm -hmm. And um, this Zen is on so many classic songs. It's, it's really mind boggling and inspiring that they just used what sounded good to them rather than like, well, this is a cheap symbol. What? (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it just it, it regarding worked.
1: the regarding the big sound too obviously you know the, it's uh it's him and the way he plays but jeff emmerich was a huge part mm-hmm. of that and you can really hear the compression working on, on
4: oh a thousand percent and mm-hmm. uh even so. with this the new get back documentary um uh it was mind-boggling to me as we're all drummers who work uh in studios and things like that is they were always asking Glenn Johns, how is it sounding? What does this sound like? You know, and it really was even down to Paul's bass, you know, about needing more bass and stuff is that they were really relying on what the sound guys,
2: what the engineers were doing. Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting, guys, is that um, with these pictures that you're showing here, uh, they were taken by a, a gentleman named uh, Sean O'Mahoney, And then he, he was involved with the Beatles Monthly. And um, he's since passed, but his his son-in-law contacted me a number of years ago, and he said that they had archives of uh, photos that his father-in-law took from 63 all the way to 67. Wow. So because I was wow. doing what I was doing, he said um, confidentially, because I I can share some photos. What are you looking for? You know, so I said, I think with drums and cymbals, even if you crop it out. So I, I have a lot of these in super high res. Wow so okay. yeah symbol stamps and everything but yeah, um, um what i'm working on now is, is is a documentation for, for a book so a lot of what um you're seeing here will be uh in it so it's but it's very defining and i'm sorry to 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 say that it's confidential kind of right now but it's just the yeah
4: no
0: i love that man i love I
2: totally that Totally
0: understand gary yeah and, and power uh, to it i i but i i just think to me it's fascinating i think what what that film did for me, just in terms of opening my eyes to. Um, again, I, I I just I thought he I, I thought he always played an eighteen and a twenty. I didn't know he, I didn't know he played two twenties. So that little tidbit, probably you guys all knew that, and I'm maybe the only one here that didn't know that. But I just you know when I saw that he had two twenties up, I thought, okay, well that makes a lot of sense now. That that you know the sound that I'm hearing on these records. I would have never thought you'd get an 18 to sound as bit like here comes the sun, for example, which was not those sessions, but um, it would make sense that it was that zin that I thought was maybe a 20 inch thin, a crash, you know, making that big wishy sizzly. The
1: the other thing that's worth dialing in is when some of these symbols were selected initially, you're really talking about. A player looking for volume.
2: Right. Mm hmm. The music oh, exactly.
1: was getting heavier, it, you yeah. have to kind of yeah. upend all the, all the stuff that, that we've all learned over the last years and just just go put yourself you know I mean when I go back to that period and what I was looking for in my ignorance, and, I, and, and I'm not saying I'm not implying anybody was ignorant, I'm just saying that it was it was just so basic. it was like I was saying to you earlier, it was like what was available and all that all that stuff. Mm-hmm all the all the you know inverted commas good symbols yeah. initially weren't yeah. available in the front end of the 60s and it's okay let's find something that sounds that sounds good and 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 is loud loud wow, right you know i mean it, it's it, we're one we're one step further on from the big band drummers where Mm-hmm. there's no mic there's no microphone mm-hmm. the drums There's still right. i mean you, you've seen you, we've all seen the footage of them in the early uh, early days it's it's unbelievable there's you know the mics on the drums are, are the one that's stuck in between his stall and his snare drum for him to sing his song yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's my, maybe, it, you know, it's might maybe maybe an difficult overhead for people to to kind yeah. of contemplate that but so it's like yeah. oh yeah i need some loud symbols oh 20 yeah that one's going to be louder than an 18.
0: yeah and, it's uh, quite, I, it's I, one I was gonna that say,
1: sounds
3: good
0: i think you're right dave and i my my and my theory on that i think you're exactly right and my theory has always been that he got used to playing those bigger symbols exactly and then when they went to record he just sort of like because by the time the mid- 60s came along they were they were really done playing live and they'd become a studio band and he could have then adjusted to maybe if he wanted smaller crashes, but I think he heard that sound and that 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 was
4: their sound was so the, the bigger crashes, the the
0: more decaying.
1: But Jeff Emmerich and Glenn and all those guys made yeah, it work. Yeah. yeah, You know,
4: once they got the Fairchild compressor, I feel like that 18 all of a sudden sounds like a twenty thousand inch cymbal. Yes,
1: exactly.
4: And so that you know the compression first, heard, you know beginning on rubber sole and things like that. Uh, you can even hear the la- very last hit on Nowhere Man. You just automatically get this whoosh. And I've nerdily obsessed about this in studios with my own bands. And <laughs> yeah. we could use a tiny cymbal and all of a sudden it's just whoosh, you know, through an 1176. Yeah. I can't afford it, Fairchild, but 1176, <laughs> you know, which is a great compressor. And it um, almost didn't matter what you were using. It was such an artificial sound you know, and that's what they're really going after. And, you know, the Motown music they were listening to was, was very uh, crispy and, and they were going for that. And it brings me back to the hi-hats. You know, I, I asked Bunny Carlos um, who should really do one of these two, but I asked Bunny Carlos, I was like, so what was it like seeing the Beatles? I'm in his drum lair and he shows me his superphonic he used with John Lennon and I'm talking to He goes, all I could hear was, and I'm thinking he's uh-huh. going to say girls screaming. He goes, those hi-hats. That's all I heard, and I'm like, "What, you know?" And he saw them. I forgot, probably Chicago Stadium or something in '64, '65, and uh, so it begs me to think those hi hats weren't as. Steph talked to Gary about this too. They weren't as thin as people. They were perfect. They weren't thin or heavy or medium. They were just like perfect, and that's what you know. Them wanting a louder sound over people. It just, it makes me wonder, uh, same with the V18 the symbol that we hear throughout help, such a loud instrument, really, really loud. And and that that um, makes me think the weight distribution was was heavier in the middle, and then it, they thinned out to, closer to the edge. And for me, that's always what I'm looking for, a light touch where I don't have to bash, you know,
2: so. yeah, You know, it's interesting to yeah. talk about hi-hats, um, just like you rented it, you help. Just so obsessive, you know. Just looking, <laughs> you know. And if you saw, if you saw the wasted symbols I have just stacked up that I, I bought, and it's like this isn't it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, but the point is, I was searching online and on YouTube. I come across this, um, uh, this clip of a a stag, medium thin, fourteen uh, inch uh, crash, and then so I. I I listened to it and I went, Oh my God, this sounds like Ringo's top hi hat. It it was, it was just like really explosive to the touch. It was very bright. And yet when he hit it, it it had the same exact tone that Mm -hmm. how he, Mm -hmm. when he would go from a wash and just hit it before he went to a fill. And so I started buying those (laughs) and then it's like, okay, I'm not getting the sound that I heard on that YouTube clip. And then I went to go take 12 of them back and they said, dude, you can't just buy these and return them, you know. So that was a whole lot. <laughs> nice <laughs> but, man. Yeah, we've been all we've all been. <laughs> I, I, I started being convinced that you know what he has something really unique because these were very loud too when, when you just matched them up as hi-hats. So um, but but it was like, what is out there that sounds like that? You know, especially mm-hmm. in '63, you know, '60, you know, like when they were doing a lot of the recordings for the BBC. They were just they were just so so beatly. And, and to me, they're they're a little different than what he was using later on, but it was just, just my opinion. But it's just it's just a road. Once you go down it, man, you're 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 lost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, hear you. I know.
0: Well then so so to that point, it was eye-opening to me to watch the film and see a 602 bottom, sound edge bottom, um, at least at that point, anyway, during those sessions and on the live the rooftop show. So he had either put a an a zildjian top on a on a sound on a 602 sound edge bottom or it was a sound edge uh 602 set and the top was very patinaed. but it really looked like an a the top really looked mm-hmm. if you look at
4: yeah the, oh, well the yeah, that, yeah. that would
3: be my opinion of of the hi-hat setup there yeah he stayed
4: with what was comfortable but you yeah. know
2: always trying new things you know was t- was yeah. kind of the. The thing with them so yeah oh and speaking of new things here i got i have uh got this I one of the show ah oh, look yeah. at that That's i used a- to have one of those <laughs> well i i i was looking forever i mean and and i, I found this and then never never saw another one so so
0: gary, I, is it plastic gary or is it wood? No, it's all
2: it's all it's all aluminum it's and, aluminum um, okay uh Crazy. strangely enough Today, a friend of mine uh, named uh, Tam Rakin uh, up in Scotland, he sent me uh, some information because he uh, was like, who made these? And, and it's in a Dallas Arbiter catalog from
4: 1969.
2: And wow. called uh, Tamba Ching. And, wow. And okay. if you saw the way it, it could be used, you know, you see how Ringo uses it. But you'll see that there's also a hole here. Two holes actually. There's there's one in on the bottom where you could actually put this on a a, a bass drum. Did you just take out the, the beater, yeah, yeah. put it through, tighten All it? Right. Then, oh wow. I never knew that. That's or crazy. A, or you could put it on a, a a post and just uh and shake it.
3: So it's it's amazing when you go back, you know, like I do. I don't I don't know if any of you guys geek out on this stuff as much as I do. But when you go back and you look at the old drum catalogs from the 30s and 40s and 50s and how much like really cool hardware and and things that we take for granted as being modern now, you know, as as far as things like that and little, you know, little stands to mount things on the bass drum and stuff like that. They had all that stuff back then. It was just very, you know, thin and, and cheaply made. And then, you know, when I was growing up, in the 70s and the 80s you didn't really see all that stuff so when it came out again like drum racks and all in all these little parts and bits and bobbles, you know everybody's like oh that's new that's from the 90s you know that's when people started using that but the drummers back in the 30s and 40s and 50s they had all that stuff you know already yeah. and then it just kind of went away I guess in the 70s and you know then then you know not everything for some of us. Was new again not mm-hmm. for all of us it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <go
0: anywhere. laughs>
3: no,
2: yeah. You know, there, there, was, there was one other thing that I wanted to mention. Yeah. I, I hope you guys know this, but Ringo did a masterclass. Uh, I, if you go I to masterclass.com, yeah. it came out uh, on the 22nd of this month. And um, Greg Bissonette was heavily involved in putting together questions to ask Ringo. And he was kind enough to pull me in. So, so if you watch that, if you hear what Ringo says about drumming, and then when you watch uh, the the, the uh, documentary, then it's like, God, is Ringo bored? Is he even listening to what's going on? <laughs> you know, but but his mind obviously was working because when you know, my, my thought with it with with the uh, um, documentary, w- we've heard these songs hundreds, if not thousands, of times. So, but but if you could erase that, and you're just watching this this group that's like spiritually connected just creating songs in a short period of time and then seeing what the final or hearing what the final product is and when you focus on Ringo what he's doing is so unique I mean it's you know like with with the the uh uh the the, using the towels and by the way here quickly if you watch master class these are the towels he used and this is uh, those are
4: impossible to find
2: Oh yeah, yeah, trust me. <laughs> yeah, that I know, but I do. I trust cool you. That he played those and I have them. So it's a nice wow. gift. But um I'm, you got to watch. watch it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to watch it this weekend. My wife has a has a uh subscri- subscription to it. And I want to read a comment, Gary. That's tees up this perfectly. Uh from Lee Flyer, who's always good with some great comments and I think a couple of you guys know Lee. Um he just this is what he wrote. I the impression I get from from an audio perspective and get back is that he got a lot of those sounds by putting towels over the drums and hitting them hard, which then brought out the cymbals and made them sound explosive when he hit them along with the compression. Of course, does that sound accurate? And I I would agree with that. I think if nothing else, whether it was his idea idea or Glenn John's idea or George Martin's idea to put the tea towels on there, it allowed him to play what I, again, I I never realized how tight a space it was that they were working when they were, when they were at Twickenham, And then later um, at Apple, how on top of each other they were. I just, I guess just from photos, I assume there was a little more separation between the drums and the, and the rest of the band. But as we saw in the movie, there wasn't. So the tea towel was a great idea because it allowed him to... We all know what it's like when you have to try to play really soft, except Dave Maddox can do this effortlessly. But I know when I try <laughs> to play softly, but still try to... You know played dynamically it, it's it's difficult um so and not to say that ringo couldn't play dynamically but but it was a great way to to you know not have the drums be too loud but still be able to play those things he needed to play that involved hitting the drums hard in certain spots so
4: anyway that was yeah my, you know my I, take on that. That was, that's interesting you mentioned that and i i feel like um ringo was very rudimentary and he didn't even know it I feel like because I've always noticed, um, even from the early days, his drum heads are black by the end of sessions. And I'm like, how's it all so dirty? I know they were gigging all the time. I know that. But once you think about what they were doing until the few, until they really started to rehearse and gear up for each take, Ringo's on brushes. And that was a thing I noticed in the new documentary was uh, how he's playing on brushes most of the time. Even Heather, Paul's little daughter, comes over and starts jamming with them on hi hats with his brushes, mm-hmm. and I'm, they were pumping his drums through the PA with brushes on. And um, it just goes to show you how how they uh, how they worked and how the discipline that would take. And brushes, as we all know, my my dad growing up when I was start, first start playing, he was always like brushes, brushes, brushes. It wasn't like a noise in the house thing. My parents were cool about it, but it was a technique thing. And I feel like that's something drummers don't do anymore. Most drummers I know don't even know what brushes are, I feel like, but uh, that was a thing I took away from the, uh, he was playing brushes with tea towels on For You Blue. It -hmm. finally kind of proved it, you know, he was on brushes with that. And uh, that was, uh, I just took that because uh, they had to sing in the same room together, you know? So of course he's going to be on brushes uh, into a PA. I thought that was interesting.
2: I know it was yeah. interesting about it that, um, that, that, uh, uh, recording is that nobody's wearing headphones. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I know. Yeah.
4: And you can hear Glenn Johns go, you know, Ringo, do you, this is my, my eyes and ears were like, so wide. he goes, Ringo, do you have dampening on that floor, Tom? And I'm like, right. Hmm, that's the first time I've ever seen someone actually notice or because Twickenham, he's wide open, when they first go there, you can see Glenn start popping up, putting the tea towel over the snare, kind of doing the sound for him. And uh, that was interesting to me on a side tangent, wondering if Ringo, if there was a calfskin on Ringo's snare by the time they hit Twickenham. But there was footage of it show like clearly being plastic. And I've always read he he even said, he goes, we put calfskins, you know, later on. Towards the end of the Beatles or whatever, but I, I've seen no evidence of that. You know, of course, mm-hmm. but
2: but what, uh, what I was told by Dick shory was that when the maple mm-hmm. ordered it was ordered with calfskin heads. And, Interesting, uh, and 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 it appears that when they knew they were going to be playing at Twickenham or it would be cold, big. um oh, okay. Them out.
3: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: That's yeah, a great yeah. point. I never thought about
4: that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know what I, I'd love to, to just
1: city- Gary, yeah. is it your understanding that Drum City put uh, the calf heads on that kit?
2: Um, no, it came that way from Ludwig. Oh, okay. however they, they shipped it, right? But yeah, okay. it was ordered that way.
3: Very, very oh, cool and- too to see the the Drum City stickers on the on the toms uh, on the kit. It's very cool. Yeah,
0: Jim Catalano would ask that question. I was, and I was just about to say that that uh, th- those stickers, Jim, that you're referring to, were the Drum City stickers. That that. Uh, they stuck on there, so yeah. not wanting to miss out on an opportunity, very smart. Um,
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, Dave. That's,
1: that's Iva. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, you um, know what's interesting, guys? When, when I documented the kit, you know, all the stickers were off, and then when I got to the bass drum, uh, there was a Drum City sticker, the same one you see on the toms. It, it was underneath. Oh, okay. yeah, the top part of the uh, the bass. Oh, you and know, on the inside. Amazing. Amazing. Eat. Was the
4: inventory <laughs> stickers on there? Because you see a little plastic. It looks like yeah, they're doing yeah. no,
2: it, um, policy uh, stuff. Those are off now too. Uh, yeah. We did, we did some research and, and we knew that they were put on for inventory, but mm-hmm. nobody knows where the where the book is. <laughs> so yeah.
0: And those drums were stamped. they were in 68. They that's when that's when he got that kit.
2: 1960, yeah, he got it in September of 68, but they were made in July of 67. Yep.
0: Oh mm-hmm. wow. Okay. okay. And he used them, he used that kit not entirely in the White Album, right? It was it was For, during that right at
2: the tail end. And in fact, the day he got the kit was the day that they were um recording the song Glass Onion. And then oh, so okay. Paul being there, you could see how Paul was an influence too, and in telling Ringo, hey do this or try this um so uh might have been paul's influence uh, uh, to, to try a, a double bass because that's yeah. what Ringo did for glass onion because yeah. it never kept the tape and uh, it just didn't work so george even mentions
4: in the new documentary he goes "Well, why don't you grab that double bass again like you used mm. to mm-hmm. Which i found was interesting that was kind of nerdily mind-blowing that
3: <laughs> you're right thought about that and yeah you know, there was,
0: there was, Dave, wait till you see it. There's so much stuff in there that
3: I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm only halfway through so far. And, and the first half has been amazing.
0: Yeah. I, it's just, it's, it's it, amazing.
3: Just,
2: you know, uh, John, there's even another point too is like when you're, when you're watching it, I mean, it's just something you got to watch a numerous amount of times because you could be listening to a conversation and, and they're kind of focusing, say, like on John or something, but then, you look in the background and it's like there's Ringo's uh, oyster black pearl kit sitting in the background with a, and there's a Chrome snare drum, the one that came with the maple kit. Yep. Like, wow. Yeah. So.
0: I know. And, you know, I, I want to, I want to jump to Dave for one second. We talked about this off the air, but I'd love to just have you talk a little bit, Dave, we were talking about having you having record with Paul McCartney on several records. Um, from your perspective what you see in the film which you'll see when you watch it is so many songs that paul is like writing on the spot basically that he's he's got an idea there are a bunch of songs from abbey road that he's getting the idea for that we don't hear and let it be that we hear later but it's the you know it's the germ of the idea and you know ringo's writing Octopus's garden and those types of things so when you worked with paul did he often come in with a with a fully formed song and just kind of go this is how it goes or would would you guys would he would he help would you all sort of be there while the song was written and and have it evolve that way i'd just be curious to see if that was always his process
1: both both john um the, as we talked briefly um before this before we went live the sessions um at, um Air studios in London. When it was in Oxford Street before it went up to um, Hampstead, those mm-hmm. were the first sessions I did. And then there was the Montserrat sessions, and then there was also the sessions at his place in Sussex, and and then and then Abbey Road sessions as well. But I do remember um, sometimes it would be yeah, it goes like this, learn it. Other times he he he'd have um, very much the you know the the basis of the idea and one input. But I think what is pertinent to this conversation was when I did uh, some of the tracks on Run, Devil, Run. Uh, Ian Paces on the bulk of it, but I'm on, I can't remember now, three or four. Um, and they were all done at Abbey Road. And Paul deliberately wanted to kind of semi-recreate the vibe from the first album, the first Fabs album. And that was what was standard back in the day for everybody, and that's you went in at 10 o'clock in the morning, you broke for lunch at 1 for an hour, and then you did 2 to 5, and then you did 6 to 9. I mean, session work back in the day, it started off like that, apart from jingles, which were an hour. And the classic um, thing was, oh, yeah, 10 to 1, 2 to 5, 6 to 9. And he wanted to recreate that. But the thing about the Run Devil Run sessions was no, no overthinking. No overthinking. You know, let's let's not let's not. You know, um, l- if somebody's got a good idea, let's do it. And um, Dave came up with some good ideas on guitar. Dave Gilmore came up with some good ideas on guitar, and keyboard player, and and everyone would contribute. And and one of the things one of the things that I remember very fondly <laughs> was, um, and this is after working with him for quite some time. Um, we finished one track, and I said, what do you think about Rackers on that? He went, yeah, right, you, me, middle of the studio. And Jeff, come down, Jeff puts up a 67 or whatever in the middle of the room. He said, right, you stand one side, I'm standing the other. Right, camps, let's go, come on, right, one, two, three, four. And he says, I'm, bit, <laughs> I'm playing the Maracas with Paul McCartney. That's home. amazing.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that was after... Having known him for kind of 10, 15 years and still had done a lot of sessions, but it was still a cool thing. So he said, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Let, let's do that. And 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 then other people, and I think maybe I did also contributed an idea. I said, no, I don't think that's gonna work. Let's let's not do that. And the idea was to get at least two songs, the basics of e of, of and but when I say the basics, I don't mean Kind of the basics, and then we're going to spend three three years overdubbing, blah, blah, blah. He really wanted them close to have finished as, as possible. Mm-hmm. And we got those done, all those tracks, apparently, the ones with Ian Pace were all done like that. It was like, you know, let's get on with doing just to, you know, no, no. Fixing if it if there was really was a bum note yeah then you know yeah but basically we're not going to spend hours and hours editing and carefully overdubbing them. minute let's just get it in live and I think that record in particular comes across quite well that way I think there's definitely it, a, a, a spirit. not not that the others aren't exciting yeah. or anything blah, blah, yeah. blah, but but that that sense of immediacy of um, I'm going to sound like. I'm going to sound really old fart, old school now, a bunch of people singing and playing at the same time who can sing and play, you know, playing time. Yeah, what a, con- and con- what a concept. Yeah, what a concept, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 all, and all at the same time too, you know, which is
2: yeah.
1: not that there's anything wrong with one at a time. I mean, we're all, everybody's doing it, I'm doing it, we all know how to do one at a time and build. But there's still something that happens uh, when you get, musicians together and i think that record yeah. captured it i mean I, like i said i'm not on many tracks i'm I, I yeah i did um all shook up and a couple of, anyway blah blah so what year was time. that
0: Dave? i'm just curious what, what year uh was that's remember?
1: back end of the 90s
0: yeah okay i was back gonna end say of
1: was, the 90s sometime it was a it was in a couple of years before i came over here
0: yeah okay yeah. Right. i was gonna say it was it was quite a bit later than what we're talking about now and, yes oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. just uh, yeah, but, yeah because it's no, it just
1: that, i'm sorry no I that sh- was that was the whole thing he sees it we're at the back of the night and he says let's i really want to try and do get the bulk of a record done the way we did that first one because as everybody i'm sure you guys all know and i would imagine that most people do that first record was it was it was it done in a day or a day and a half or two days i mean they literally I, I think a day straight I to it was, straight to two i mean it wasn't even four track then straight yeah, to right. straight. yeah i think it was a matter of hours i really yeah, do i think it, was, done like, in a, it was if it wasn't done in a day it was like a day and a half or
0: isn't isn't the story that john's they, they were gonna yeah, do twist well. and shout the next day or something but john's voice
1: was shot and they yeah yeah him. they pushed yeah.
0: him yeah yeah um and you know that's that song wouldn't sound as great as it does.
1: I oh think, my God! I remember the that, first you know. time. I'm sure we all remember the first time we heard that. Like right? as as Mr. Kuda would say, "chicken skin music."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, you know, and I and I'm I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but um, I think one of you guys had just said this. It might have been you, Gary. That you know we we've, we've heard these songs a million times. And and I, I said this the other day, like all the, the rooftop concert, you know, the, the Let It Be. I, I saw bits and pieces of the original Let It Be uh, movie. And of course, have, have owned the record for, you know, 50 years. Um, and so heard those recordings a million times. But when you see them playing live, there's something. And you guys that have seen it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There's this element of like unbelievable appreciation for
1: each other
0: yeah and and but uh, and for them i mean when you see them performing these songs live and how 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 they get to that point the fact that it's three weeks of of kind of getting almost nowhere for two of those three weeks one of the guys quits the band during that time it's very
3: tedious that uh oh my god yeah part of that
0: it's that this close to imploding, like on several occasions. And then they go out to the rooftop and they sit down and they play their asses off. I mean, they just, you know what I mean? It's like, it's the, it's the quintessential, like playing for the red light, that red lights on and they're so pro and they're all such great musicians and such a great unit. And, and it's almost like, I don't know. I can't explain it, but it's like they defaulted to all those years of playing together. That just came out, especially I, I, Ringo.
1: A contributing factor. I'm going to chip in here, John. I, I don't yeah, think it yeah. can be overestimated what all that time in Germany did for all of them. For yeah. sure. In terms of making them, yeah. you know. It's that thing about where, it, where, it, 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 where you're trans- in an ideal situation that, we're, that all of us are in in varying degrees, where you transition from, from a bunch of good musicians playing together and then in an ideal world after a certain amount of time, the, the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. And I think they, they reach that in, in, Absolutely. In, in Germany. So by the time they, you know, the overnight fame in, in, in England yeah They had all that. They were a unit. They, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure you've all seen that great story that Paul talks about when the first time they played with Ringo and they basically look, the three of them look at each other and go. That's it. We've, that he's, yeah. he's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's the guy. Yeah. 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 No I, I, your it, respect it, to a certain Mr. Best, you know, I mean, it, 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 it just up the ante. Yeah. I,
0: I, I just, and, and Ringo, I mean, Every, to me, every, you know, they, they would do all these takes of Get Back and, you know, different songs. And and his playing was so consistent every time. The the, the tempo, the feel, everything. He was, I, it made me, I mean, I've loved the guy forever, but it made me love him a hundred times more <laughs> watching. You know what I mean? I, I can't yeah. explain, I can't put it into words. Yeah. I think you totally, should have man. seen it. Yeah, it it was amazing to see him so not i wouldn't say business-like that's not the right word because it sounds like he didn't have any any emotion because that certainly wasn't the case but it was almost like so effortless for him to just sit there and and deal with sometimes some bullshit but just come just sit there and play his part and it was perfect he was perfect every time
2: yeah
0: right i mean their guitar might be out of tune on this take and they'd have to redo it or they'd flub up the vocal this time or something Uh, or there'd be a weird feedback, but Ringo was always nailed it every time.
1: I think the other defining thing, and again, I'm going to sound like an old fart here. When those four guys started, I think they knew they had, they were all onto something, but I don't think, I don't think it was like, we're all going to become great rock stars. You know, they just knew that they, they just knew that they had something and they, and they were, they needed to work at it. It wasn't a showbiz thing, it wasn't a rock right. star thing. it was i mean they 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 were all standing on their shoulders you know, to varying degrees yeah. and I think that's yeah, yeah. that from what little i've seen and I, I, like, i'm like i'm i'm behind the curve with you guys who catching up with us, but I'm looking forward to seeing this but i from my recollection of watching the original get back movie that's what comes across it's just for people. I know it's oversimplification, but for people just who who know how to write songs and play music, doing it together with a with a lot of love and respect for each other, that's not it's not uncommon.
2: Well, oh, and the thing is, that they, they really knew each other. I mean, look at yeah. it. mean you were touring; they yeah. were together all the time. You know, the four of them being together, it was like their world they could rip each other if they wanted to you know however they work but if you were an outsider and tried to do it they'd attack you, you know? so right
1: yeah paul, paul told me thing words to that effect many times yeah he said he i met one conversation we had he was saying about they kind of felt sorry for elvis and i said what do you mean he said well he just had elvis and all the hangers on he said we had we had each other
0: yeah that's beautiful yeah yeah, he
1: said we had each other to to if any if anyone got too kind of above themselves, we, we were out of order kind of thing. And he said Elvis just had a bunch of kind of we love you Elvis kind of and even yeah. although that some of them were his close friends. But and I, I I think that's well that's that. I don't think I'm telling anyone or saying anything that's kind of uh,
4: yeah. Pop stars are lucky to have any friends, you know. <laughs> I don't
1: know.
0: yeah yeah exactly um well got you know and and we're we're over an hour now so i appreciate you guys spending time and again doing this so last minute we didn't even talk about billy preston who was just you know and dave i I know you already know this but when you you'll you'll see it in the in the film just what you know right there yeah yeah, the glue glue. what he brought was i mean again you guys maybe you guys already knew this i i'm i don't claim to be the biggest beetle beatles expert but i didn't know that my take on it and and correct me if i'm wrong is he just sort of wandered to he just sort of showed up at the session he was in town in london and he popped in to say hi to the guys because they knew him from hamburg in 1962 and then they you know he he ends up recording i mean it was like it wasn't like he was a hired it wasn't like nicky hopkins it wasn't like a hired like oh billy's showing up at at Mm -hmm. you know 10 for the session tomorrow it was like Oh, Billy Preston's here. Hey, Billy, you feel like playing piano on a couple of songs? It was like
2: it was like meant to be. It was was
0: meant to be. And then once he did that, it was like they all I mean, that's before him. That was when it was almost imploding. And then he Mm -hmm. just saved the day. It was they should have a big cape with a much like Clapton,
4: yeah, (laughs) like (laughs) Clapton coming in for, you know, the last album during the White Album. They just all kind of got their shit in order right when a guest shows up and
3: I, it's I kind of sad
4: when you think about it it's a little sad when you yeah. when we're watching we know the fate of the band that they needed like an outsider guy but man what an outside guy you know i feel like george was sniffing around like the AR man for apple so he was probably yeah. telling billy because you know we're looking to release maybe a record i'll pretty i'll produce it you know type thing
0: yeah george was working the apple angle it was pretty funny to see that you know that really funny they yeah all, they all had a
4: because they needed it. money they yeah. wanted their money and they, <laughs> it's probably an easy option probably. you know
0: yeah
3: john, um, did, john did you catch uh, uh you know being like a huge stones fan like i am did you catch that one scene like about an hour into part two where they first are in apple and they're kind of rehearsing a little bit and John's holding the Beggars Banquet album. Did you yes. notice that? I and did. He opens it up and he puts it right back down.
4: He <laughs> puts his cigarettes I think, on it. And yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, you know, this was this was January '69. Beggars Banquet came out in I think November of '68 or sometime around that time. So, it was like the newest Stones record. Yeah, yeah. And then of course he kept he kept doing the intro for his you know rock and roll circus yeah, thing is a bit like he's right, like right. and now the rolling stones you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> sort of it's like, it's like 10 different. times <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it was there was some some funny stuff there with that and yeah, oh, one last thing think, too think, did you yeah, get? Guys... i think
3: gary pointed this out earlier you know if you just you just not kind of take focus off of them once in a while you'll catch all these little interesting things you know going on in the background
0: yeah yeah,
3: yeah. very cool
0: but well, we touched on this off the air, and I'll just quickly mention that um, I think we all saw that Zilco flyer or or advert that was on the piano next to Billy Preston sure. at some point. I think mm-hmm. in part two, and so Brendan, my question is: Is it possible that eighteen the what you call the symbol could that have been a Zilco, or is that just did he just have a bunch of stuff in there, and one of them was a Zilco? And
1: you know,
4: I I looked this up after I saw that. Um, I think someone online saw it before me. I only finished the documentary last night, and uh what I what I found was that the Zilco they're talking about there, the specific ones only started around 68-69. So it's no, it's a kind of a no-brainer once you you view their arc of gear that they were kind of getting the first dibs on gear a lot of the time. Ringo's snare drum was like basically one of a kind, you know, one of five. A lot of their gear was was uh, very uh, custom, not custom, but like the first ones off the floor, Paul's Rickenbacker, things like that. And what I looked up is that I, I don't I don't think it's possible. I, I have my own on V18. Um, if it was a Zilko, it's going to be the Constantinople Zilkos that they made in the 50s. Those are different beasts. They were known as seconds, but not not really. I've heard a bunch of great ones online. There's a great one on Reverb right now. Uh, that was like, wow. This is very Ringo-y. And um, I've just never seen a stamp on the 18. There are so many photos. Even last night, there's a camera guy right over it on the rooftop. I was like, come on, give it to me. And I still, I still didn't see one. And uh, Come on, I, give I would, it to me. I know. Come on, man. <laughs> and uh, I just, I don't think it is, if it was, it was a Constantinople. And I fig- and I, if you look at the stamps, they still have that weird, like pirate sword as the logo, even in the late fifties. Yeah.
1: Um,
4: and then not to be confused with the Zilkos with a K,
3: which were Piste origin,
4: which were, you yeah, know, those, those were those taught if, if you know, know yeah, you know,
3: those were brass symbols from they, they made them from the very late forties when they, First started making cymbals again after World War II, sure. up, until the, up until the late 50s.
4: So it seems like there's a lot of new gear lying around the floor in the new documentary. And I feel like someone just, just like the Drum City took the opportunity to give a little leaflet about what was starting in 68, 69. And it was in Canada, like you yeah. mentioned, John, earlier. Yeah,
3: 68 um, my- is when they opened that factory in New Brunswick. Okay,
4: sure. Dave, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, it. yeah. So I, I don't think it is. I feel like at this point, my personal thing is that it's an unstamped Zildjian, no stamp. I'm just, you know, that did happen. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. played with the guy the other night. I was like, what was that ride? He goes, I don't know. It doesn't have a stamp. And I'm like, dang, sounds good. You know, it just, it gets me thinking through real life experiences with this stuff. And I don't think it's associated, but with the Zilko thing, I'm still doing research on Ringo post-Beatles. Let's just say uh, like the BB King sessions, uh, the Doris Troy sessions, things like that. There's a couple of symbols in his thing that I'm like, that doesn't look right. It doesn't look like anything. Even in Abbey Road, there's a couple of photos where I'm just like, that doesn't look like anything I've seen before. Hmm, You know, type of yeah. thing, which could be I'm still doing research on it. But the, the Zilko's could have showed up post-Beatles or Abbey Road, but I wouldn't say the 18, um, yeah. I call it an 18, but my other thing is, I think it's slightly over an 18 is, is my other, uh, I have an amazing, really quick, um, it could be. Yeah. Actually, John, you were probably working with Zildjian heavily on this, this symbol I'll take to my grave with me. It's a, uh, 2004 Armand, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. the, uh, the beautiful baby. baby, beautiful, beautiful baby. baby. And, 19. uh, I'll show you guys personally some videos I've I've done Beetle, I do Beetle covers on YouTube that I've used. And um this 19, it's even patinated like him, even the lathe here, how it gets thinner. It sounds mm. exactly like his, it. even down to this classic Zildjian, whatever that the hammering is. I'm not sure what it's called, but um it's just like it. I mean it's like so it's and, it's and, and it's not a thin symbol. Yeah. It's just, I think like the weight distribution is, it's not the thinnest edge here. And one day I'll show you guys in person, but. uh, Did you
1: take the rivets out, Brendan?
4: I did. I did for this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll send you a recording. I did of come together at a studio with tape, Fairchild, everything. And I love LA. It has the best studios, man. I just, I I go into studios, they already know what I want. My friend Clay owns a great studio and uh, I'll show you some recordings I have on this, but it made me wonder if his 18 was just like slightly more, just like the hi-hats. It's, it, it goes, it takes me back to arguing about John Bonham's bass drum size online for the past 20 years. And it turned out his bass drum wasn't a 26 by 14 or a 16 it was a 26 by 15, some yeah, rare yeah. one of a kind thing. So it made me wonder. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. That's a dorky. This guy, George Flutus is a, is a Bonham expert, amazing player in Chicago. Yeah, George, and, uh,
3: George, George plays Bonham. Like nobody I've ever seen wow. play Bonham.
4: I I've seen him play the jazz greats as well in Chicago, yeah, the jazz showcase. Fantastic,
3: and, fantastic yeah. drummer. I've, he's I've influenced
4: him, yeah. me to get into all this symbol stuff. And, uh, yeah. It's like, well, if it if, if, uh, just goes to show you never quite know, maybe we're all close to something. But um, I just feel like Ringo's 18 was just a hair bigger just to get that roar. I've just never heard an 18 that has that. We're seeing with the hi-hats. What if they were 14 and a quarter? You know, it's like yeah. we're all wrong. It's in
3: between 14 and 15,
1: <laughs> You know, yeah.
4: well, the that, big revelation. That- there was, At then,
3: too, was, I don't think they were as precise with the sizing on, sure. on things as, as they are nowadays, too. So, you know, yeah. that, that could be... You know, Gary's deal. big revelation with the snare drum,
1: the Ringo snare drum.
4: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right, his was a five and a
1: half?
2: Yeah. yeah. And the, and, standard,
1: and they, the, the standard depth for that model was a five. and right. a five. Ringo, Ringo made that half-inch of difference. So, yeah.
0: yeah, no, I, I was remember like, hearing that, yeah, yeah. It always it was like based on the
4: yeah. in the pictures, yeah, sure. And it like was based on the Barrett Deems model, but had a different strainer, just a mm-hmm. yeah
2: that's a whole other show. Um, yeah, that's
4: a whole other uh, Gosh, yeah, that's tomorrow's is, discussion yeah, that's
0: tomorrow. <laughs> this has been so, so great. I want to thank you guys. I want to read a quick comment from a friend of mine, Stephen Polata, great guitar player uh here in the box co- he
1: he's not in a coma he's a guitarist he's
0: not in a <laughs> he's coma <laughs> he's very interested in drums he's a very he's a is <laughs> a, a, a student of music okay my friend steven but really fine guitar player and he said but what he pointed out in in uh everyone but dave has seen this but he said paul and john singing an entire track of two of us through clenched teeth was yeah. hilarious and i forgot about that that was uh i kept thinking at some point they were going to break the but they didn't. They got through the whole song like ah. with the teeth like you're singing. It Drooling rehearsing. and all.
4: That was yeah. that was hilarious, was especially on the calendar day. They're like one more day to the show. I know. And they're still, you know, <laughs> messing around <laughs> and stuff. A, another a, funny amazing.
3: moment from the show was right in the beginning where they're where they're talking about, you know, the they're talking about doing this, you know, doing the live performance in Tripoli or wherever. And they're like, well, Ringo doesn't—he doesn't want to go abroad, and he's like, well, it's just going to be us and Jimmy Nickel then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Woof. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tough crowd. That was, a, that was a pretty Tough funny crowd. line. Those guys are pretty funny.
0: Yeah, that's the stuff you can. The, like you're saying, you can you can take the piss out of your bandmates, but
3: yeah, an yeah. outsider
0: doing that, forget it. They'll, they'll cut you down you
3: know so somebody should do a doc i i've heard he didn't really ever want to talk to the press but somebody should do a documentary on on uh jimmy nickel that's a very very interesting story no one you know, knows where
1: he is he seems to have disappeared off the yeah. face of
3: the earth so as well like, wow. yeah i mean there's, I there's probably would something too. There, you know? <laughs> like, what a story you know to be to be a beetle for that short period of time and you know that's yeah. pretty crazy story. It's better
4: than most people's lives. You know, those yeah, exactly a couple of weeks. But I had, no,
3: I had known that story when I was younger and forgot about it, and and relearned the whole thing again. I was like, wow, that's that's really something.
4: And then um, one of the last kind of nerdy notes I want to say, if uh, I've had this for a while and I noticed Ringo playing something like it in the, no, I was gonna uh,
3: ask about the I ha-
4: I've had I've had the there's a bootleg series called 30 days that I've had and there there was these green CDs there's like 30 of them I had growing up and i you can hear him crashing this little like weird baby symbol and I always wondered it was always positioned like this and see if you can see it 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 see, it looks peisty. there's something about piesty bells where you can always kind of kind of yeah. tell yeah. and so I've had this lying around of course and it has yeah. a little moon and star on it this is oh, an eight inch
3: yeah, and i also
4: have like a four inch version it's really
3: interesting. kind of a
4: children's then, symbol uh,
3: yeah back then i was going to say <laughs> Pe- peisty used to make children's symbols and they're in some of the price sheets i have from the from the 60s sure. and early 70s so that's probably what it is
4: it makes it makes it seem like there's there's just a big peisty shipment one day and Ringo's like great you know and in the early <laughs> yeah. also in the first in the first episode you can see i'll send you guys a photo you can see another 602 in the background and uh, one of my friends hit me up specifically about mccartney one drums on what was being used and i'm pretty sure paul just took ringo's 602s from the the shack at uh, abbey road or wherever they really kept their gear and uh use those so you can see another 602 i think todd i did send you that one but yeah, well, yeah, you know no stamps yeah, no proof it just it looks exactly like yeah this one is in the yeah, background it's, it's yeah, that shine yeah, it's you it's, know, you know there i mean my 602 here is from right when they introduced him again in 2011 and it hasn't pat- patinaed at all it's my most used symbol mm-hmm. it just goes to show you can really point out the shine and the care that peisty used on you the know that's the
2: small symbol that, that you saw mm-hmm. single, uh, playing. You'll hear it in one song that I'm aware of uh, mm-hmm. at the one minute mark on uh, "Here Comes the Sun." Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah,
4: totally. Yeah, yeah. There's like a little unknown little. And, little and
2: there's also a good right? chance that that symbol may have come with that little white. Uh, maybe you can't say the word uh, today uh, in today's world, but he had that Japanese midget drum kit, the white pearl one that you oh, see. the toy, out.
1: like a toy set. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That could have uh,
4: came <laughs> Yeah, that is true. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's, it probably did. I, you know, I don't know if you guys caught the other day. I'll just, uh, just on, on this note, I, I did this uh, show on Monday, uh, my last, I, what I think is going to be my last Remembering Charlie Watts show. Jim Keltner, Vinnie Calyuta. Um, Aaron Comus and
3: Pete um, Thomas.
0: Pete Thomas. Couldn't and get so I asked. Good,
3: John.
0: I couldn't get anybody good, so I rang those guys up at the last minute. And of oh, course, they, they all suck.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I asked Jim because I've heard through the through the years and through the grapevine that Ringo had gifted him one or some of his old six o twos. And you know, I just was on this yeah, sort of bender, too. yeah, of six o two mania after seeing the, the film and so I asked Jim the other day and he he, he said where'd you hear that <laughs> and he but so the answer is he 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 doesn't have the symbols or a symbol which I yeah. I was certain that he did because I feel like somebody that's I thought knew something told me that but
2: there, there was a story the same that Ringo gave a pair of 602s to George and George had them in his home studio and that's what uh Jim would use every time he was there and he took him. Yeah. yeah that's
3: that's the yeah, that's, that's, that's the story they went there was a
1: lot there was a lot with kit in in when I was recording with George there was a Ludwig kit and some symbols in his home studio that I remember but I don't remember much about them
0: ah uh, well you know Jim didn't mention that but that's probably what it was and but, but he remembered that the symbol he he had only just started or he was about to watch get back he hadn't seen it yet but when I mentioned the the uh, medium ride, to Ringo's left. He said, "Oh, I remember that symbol." He said, "That's what got me interested in those symbols back then." He said, "I I was always a Zildjian guy up until then, and hearing Ringo's symbols is what made me kind of pay attention to Peiste." So it was, again, pretty eye opening just from the standpoint of Jim Keltner and his, uh, you know, his history there. So yeah, awesome. Yeah.
3: I just want to point out one thing I didn't get to when we were talking about it before is is on Ringo's Sound Edge bottom, it's stamped like a regular 602 with the red ink instead of the black wavy logo, which I had been told by somebody that worked for many, many years for Paisky that that never happened that, you know, because I have an original Sound Edge ad. And it just got the regular text red stamp. And he told me, no, they never put that on any of the symbols. That was just done for the ad. Wow. But Ringo has, and I, I didn't believe that. I was like, there's got to be some early sound edge that just have the red ink on it. And that's the first time I've actually seen that on on an on a sound edge with just the basic red ink stamp. So it was re- not only was it really cool to see that Ringo had a sound edge bottom, but he's got one that's stamped like nobody else's. So that was pretty cool, too.
4: Probably the first model made, you know, yeah, yeah. makes sense. You know, the he biggest band in the world the, gets yeah, the first crack.
3: the first pairs. That's, you know, it's yeah. like the early flat rides were, were stamped space sound, you know, and you see sure. every once in a blue moon, you'll see one come up that has a space sound stamp on it instead of, instead of a flat ride. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, very cool Good point. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: Gary, you have your work cut out next time you talk to Ringo to find all these answers because you know he's gonna he's gonna remember everything like that <laughs> <laughs> well gentlemen so, yeah. we're thank you uh, Brenda do you want to show one more it looks like you have a drumstick you want you know
4: I had one more question maybe to Dave yeah. uh sure. this is also a, a thing of mine is uh really quick is is I have a whole also uh plethora of photos of Ringo's drumsticks and I noticed in this movie, I think I have one. I always wondered about Arbiter drumsticks. And I've talked to the guys at Hollywood Pro Drum endlessly, and they have hilarious stories about Capella made drumsticks specifically. And I've had this for a while. When you see Paul, Paul always played like the butt ends down. I'm just going to hop on rings kit. Okay. When he goes over, you can see this blue this blue ink, and I've had these. It's backwards on here right now. Okay. But it's Arbiter. Arbiter
1: Ringo Star. Yeah. Ringo
4: Star model, and um, it's very unique. I, it's basically based off of a, a Premier Seven uh, A. I want to say. Um, I also have the Ledwig version, where you can see. So I have a gold pair here, and it looks uh, like I a know, color stick. But... I know Ringo used these on um, Bangladesh. You can kind of see the gold foil there's an okay. auction arbiter made drumsticks was that a normal thing in catalogs was it was that something
2: because there's an arbiter
4: c model i saw ringo using i just always wondered if they just because i've asked gary through ringo you know we've worked with through drumsticks gary on on the uh, jazz festival project with ringo and the lotus foundation where i had some of these type of drumsticks made and ringo didn't remember ever having like custom made models for him, but he clearly did. Mm. Uh, I guess my question is with Arbiter based drumsticks,
1: was that a common type of thing to see Arbiter or? My understanding was if memory serves it is that back then, I think there were one or two companies in England making drumsticks and and, they Shaw, would Sure, I was just about yeah. to say, I know that right. Shaw was one of them. Um, I <laughs> used to get my sticks from Shaw before I went to Bromark. Um, I know there was Shaw and there was and there was another make. I think there was only two, and I would imagine what happened is probably what you've already figured, Brendan. Pro Orca was that one of them promo. That Pro or- PromoCo, yeah. yeah. Now, I don't know whether oh. PromoCo was a company and Shaw was the other company, but I would what, what I would imagine, and again, you guys have probably already figured this out. I would imagine that Arbiter went to them and said, We want to order X hundred thousand pairs of sticks, mm-hmm. we're going to put our own, we're going to stick our own name uh, brand on them. So, I don't think they, yeah. I doubt very much if they back then if they went to the bother of actually making their own drumsticks i would imagine they went to yeah. either primuko or Shaw. and if if there's another one I, i'm not sure I, I tell you who probably would know this and that's as i mentioned earlier my friend bob Henrit. yeah he'd probably yeah. be able to put you straight which is john you should definitely get bob involved in some of this he, yes he's, like i yeah. say he's just a couple of years older than me and he he's got a pretty good knowledge of 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 the history of the uk drumming scene from the Mm-hmm. the back end of the fifties awesome. through to the sixties. And he'd be able to answer that question for you, Brendan.
4: Cool, man. Well, thank you so much. I've just, oh, I've fantastic. had this on my mantle. I've
2: had it for years. Cool. and
4: I've saw Ringo playing a blue scripted drumsticks in the new documentary. And they're heavy. It's also, it adds a whole other thing to the drum sound. Is the, these, you know, they're, they're in between. It's tough. If you, if you've played like a Joe Morello drumstick on from Ludwig it's mm-hmm. tough to explain it has a really unique like shaft i guess taper. you want to call it and taper, yeah, uh it, yeah. it, the taper and the shoulder is very thick and it makes me wonder if Ringo helps ringo shuffle it's really easy to shuffle on these more so than some heavy weird 2b or yeah. anything and uh yeah. i just i saw this in the new documentary i was like aha and they're 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 i don't know how to explain it they're very dense feeling okay. you can play really loud on them or soft but i was just curious
2: that so great stuff guys
1: do you know anything about that those the stick scenario gary
4: no i
2: don't no no dead end end.
1: (laughs) (laughs) we're working
4: on it that's the next discussion i've got some ammo so (laughs) to
0: to be continued i I Mm want to thank you all i want to thank my esteemed guests my dear friend dave maddox Mm -hmm. brendan lazar gary astridge todd little Thank you, guys. This is thank you,
4: John. Thank you, man. Illuminating. We yeah. used to do this all day, every day. I know we could.
3: We, John, we John some... it's always great to be in the presence of a very important man in the music industry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Starting Absolutely. <part> two. <laughs> thank
0: you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, if Charlie said it, it's got to be true. That's all I can say. No,
1: no one's going to argue with Charlie. There you go.
0: Uh, thank and you. Thank guys. you, John. It's a really honor to have you thank guys Thank you, everybody. Guys yeah thank you guys hang tight for one second i'll end the stream okay. and the recording and then we'll um, we'll say goodbye so just hang on one second if you, you got would. it all right um thank you all for watching a big